This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The Minutia Men Celebrity Interview is up next. But first, take a listen to this other fine OPI show. On this week's Free Kicks with Adam and Rick, uh, we give you the update on what's happening with the reopening of the Premier League, which is still a few weeks away. But there's some real games happening this weekend, right, Adam? Yeah, we've got the Bundesliga starting, some good American players playing in the top division of German soccer. So be sure to check out that uh, on this week's episode of Free Kicks, an Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview with Rick Kempfer and Dave Stern. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview with Rick and Dave. Joining us now, uh, we're very lucky to have, uh, this is probably the highest brow guest that we've had. Dave, I think. Uh, San Diego Chicken and Cousin Oliver. Yeah. Pretty highbrow. Yeah, but I, I, I think uh, I think the executive founding director of the Chicago Literary Hall of Fame. Yeah, a little hoity-toity for our liking. Uh, a, little, a little uh, higher class uh, model. Welcome to the show, Don. Donald G. Evans. How are you, Don? Thank you. And uh, <laughs> as you know, it's Don. But uh, <laughs> I would say Lucky and Highbrow are both probably inaccurate. Yeah. All right. Um, what does the G stand for? The G stands for Gerard. I was named after the patron saint of uh, motherhood because I was adopted and oh. my uh, parents couldn't couldn't uh, conceive. So uh, so apparently they prayed to Saint Gerard, oh. and um, so I get the I got the middle name. I don't know why. And Don was uh, for Trump. Was my What's that? For Donald Trump. Isn't that what your name after? <laughs> <laughs> Donald, Donald Trump was just a sparkle in my parents' eyes then. Um, the, uh, D- Donald was my dad's middle name. His first name was Albert, which he hated, and uh, wouldn't let anybody call him Albert. So he, I, I actually am, uh, was given his middle name. So you're like a Don Jr. almost? Yeah, not technically, yeah. but uh, okay. that's the way, that's kind of the way I think my dad looked at it. But you know, I don't think he, uh, I don't think he thought it through that far. Okay, well, uh, one of the things we want to talk to you about is uh, the Chicago Literary Hall of Fame, and this is a show called Minutia Men. So what we are looking for is minutia about some of these people. And uh, if if I could, I know that you have an encyclopedic knowledge of all the authors that are in the Chicago Literary Hall of Fame. If I could just throw some names out there, and you can give us some minutia about each of these uh, great authors. Um, I'm not talking about the the top-of-the-line stuff that everybody knows. I'm just saying a little bit of information that uh, might be uh, a little less known about each of them. Yeah, like if Hemingway had Crohn's disease or something like that. That's what we're looking for, (laughs) all right, Don? Hemingway um, did not... uh as far as I know, have that, but um, but there was a uh, strain of of uh, of a blood disorder that ran through the family, um, which is partly what led to you know so many suicides in the family, including his father and himself, of course, and, um, and his daughter, and, uh, granddaughter, right? 
granddaughter. Yeah, there are yeah. a bunch of them, yeah. you know. Um, and uh, well, way um, to way so to bring down the show right off the bat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you asked for it. You said Crohn's <laughs> disease. All right, now you've given us some Hemingway. Let's uh, let's go with Saul Bellow. I know he's one of your favorite authors. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, those who you know know Saul Bellow is probably not minutia, but. Um, uh, he was a Canadian born before they came to Chicago. Um, but here's a little minutia. You guys both know Richard Reeder, I think, or you've met him. Yes. Um, yeah, we he, actually he, published we, his book. Yeah. You, you're one of his authors. In fact, <laughs> yeah. it was, uh, at his reading Sunday, but, um, he was, he spearheaded the movement to get, um, Saul Bellow's old street in Chicago, um, given the honorary distinction of Saul Bellow way. Oh. Well, and, and where is it? What neighborhood? Well, it was Augusta. It was, um, uh, you know, he uh, West Augusta Boulevard um, in Humble Park. Okay. Well, that's some uh, minutia. Gwendolyn Brooks. I know that uh, we just recently had a big event with Gwendolyn Brooks's foundation, was it? Talk to me, sister. What about Gwendolyn Brooks? Uh, Gwendolyn Brooks. So um, the Chicago Literary Hall of Fame... uh, um, one of our board members, a uh, good friend, Margot McMahon, who's a wonderful uh, sculptor and artist, uh, she made a statue of Gwendolyn Brooks that the Chicago Literary Hall of Fame uh, sponsored and uh, spearheaded. And we put uh, the statue in Brooks Park uh, this past uh, uh, May or June. I think it was June 8th, maybe. Um, and so uh, there's a little park um uh, Gwendolyn Brooks Park. Uh, actually, there's two Brooks Parks in Chicago, which makes it confusing. Um, but the one that we put statue in is at 4542 South Greenwood Avenue, and um, and it was the first statue of a poet, uh, only the second statue of a woman uh, in any Chicago park. Um, first statue of a black poet. Uh, I think there's a Shakespeare statue in Lincoln Park, maybe. Um, and Andrew but, Dice Clay has a statue, too, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, would you he consider, <laughs> would, yeah, would you consider him first and foremost a poet? Yes, a hickory so. dickory yeah, dock. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so what about um, Ben Hecht? He's, he's one of my favorites. Ben Hecht, um, well, uh, he's probably... You know, best known for uh, his collaboration with Charles MacArthur uh, for the screenplay um, Front Page, which, um, you know, was a popular Hollywood movie. Um, But he was, uh, you know, after, you know, so he started out as a Chicago journalist um, and uh, eventually moved to Hollywood. Um, And he was such a prolific screenwriter that, uh, he went uncredited in a lot, but he was one of the richest and most prolific scriptwriters. And a little trivia about him was that he was one of the uh, writers uh, on Gone with the Wind. Oh, wow. That is now you're giving us some minutiae. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Is is Mike Royko in the uh, Literary Hall of Fame? He is. Uh, sounds like you, um, d- your research didn't take you as far as our website. No? <laughs> I wanted you to be able to say, yes, of course he is, and then tell us some minutia about Mike Royko. I don't think I like your tone right here. We can, we can end this right now, buddy. 
<laughs> well, a uh, little minutia about Mike Royko. Um, he grew up, um, uh, you know, he's a you know Chicagoan, um, but he grew up. Um, his his uh, dad was a saloon owner, and so he grew up um, uh, living above a bar um, in Chicago. Um, he, uh, uh, it's long gone. Um, but, uh, that was, uh, uh, he, he described it as, a, a he described himself as a flat above a tavern youth is what he just said. So, you know, um, I've met Royko, Royko a couple of times, uh, over the years and, um, uh, here we go. I've heard, the story, the, I've heard the story like 300 times. Buckle so, up. Uh, so, uh, so, uh, I'll let you know the story too, Don, just cause, uh, you know, I, I, you need to appreciate who you're speaking to right now. Uh, when, uh, the Lorena Bobbitt, uh, story broke in the uh, early 90s i was a, a writer for the john records landecker show and we when, did when, when what broke i know something broke i thought it was sliced yeah well it was sliced is exactly right um and that story was a huge national story international story and we were making fun of it and at the time uh mike royko was also writing lorena bobbitt limericks uh, in his <laughs> column, which I thought were hilarious. Um, I was at a party at Tim Weigel's house, and Tim Weigel introduced me uh, to Mike Royko and said that uh, this is the guy who writes the songs for John Landecker. And he looks at me and he goes, did you write that Bobbitt song? And I said, yes, I did. <laughs> he goes, you're a genius. Thank you very much. <laughs> Don, whenever whenever I'm in an elevator with Rick, like at a, you know, he just he just flops that story out. Totally unrelated. Nobody's asking. He just does the Royko genius story all the time. Uh, I'm not a now, uh, Rick Rick, can you tell me uh one of your other stories about somebody that called you a genius? <laughs> well, do you really need to know more than one? <laughs> That's the only one in your Hall of Fame. I'm sure there are others in other halls of fame. Now, as you know, I am not a big Cub fan, Don. Uh, but one of your great writing projects was the book Cubby Blues, a hundred years of waiting until next year. Can you tell us the favorite story? of cub fandom in your own life was there a you know we had carmen fan zone on a couple of weeks ago what's your favorite story childhood or whatever of, of oh camp? i remember Car i remember carmen fan zone well he was one of uh the many um you know stopgap measures at third base between ron santo and chris bryant uh um and he uh you know he was one of my favorites you know i was born in 1965 and so he was he was there for a while during those early 70s. Um, you know, one of my favorite stories about, uh, you know, I think a lot of us, uh, you know, who grew up with the Cubs and have, you know, gotten to a certain age, you know, we think fondly back at the way things used to be. And part of it is just uh, inaccessibility that professional sports has made itself into. It's made itself really an upper kind of middle class right um you know affair because it's so expensive to go and to take your kids and and um you know it's, it's insane to think that wrigley feels filled all the time because you know when i was a kid you know opening day got a little bit of a crowd but after that you kind of owned the ballpark you just went when you wanted you bought tickets at the you know at the gate 
so one of my f- favorite memories of, of childhood is uh, there used to be, so now uh, if, you know, the seats at Wrigley Field, they pop up, they're automatic, mm-hmm. right? So if you stand up, the seat pops up. Um, they used to be wooden seats above the box seats. So they were all wooden and they didn't, you know, automatically lift. So there was, and I don't know how I knew this, but I knew it and everybody knew it. Um, but if you, you know, toward the end of the game, if you went and you sat at the very end in the left field corner of any one of the rows, then you claim that row. And so you would wait till the game ended and then about, you know, maybe 20 minutes for people to clear out. And then one of the Andy frames would come by and give you uh, a, a little, little tag pink slip. Yeah. Right. And, and then with that pink slip, then you would start and you would go from all the way in the left field corner to all the way in the right field corner. And your job was to knock all the trash off the seat and then flip the seat up. Now, presumably this uh, helped to facilitate, you know, cleaning um, the area after, you know, everybody was gone. And then when you got to the end, you gave your slip to somebody else and they gave you a free pass to any Cubs game. So essentially you would pay, you know, I would pay one time to, you know, to get into the ballpark and then it would be like a season pass. Yeah. Right. Cause we would yeah. do this after every game. <laughs> yeah. I did that as well. Um, yeah. Good slave labor too for yeah. the Cubs. Uh, and I, <laughs> I, my, my back is I'm, I, I have this, this, my back is aching right now. Just thinking of that. Cause I could last probably seven seats right now and do it. But, uh, <laughs> and it would take a long time. It would take like 15 or 20 minutes to do it. It was, uh, yeah, it was uh, enjoyable. I remember that as well. So, Don, are you a uh, no ketchup on hot dogs purist? I am. I, I don't have uh, anything good to say about ketchup. Um, I don't like the smell of it. I don't like the taste of it. I, I don't like it. I don't even like it near my hot dog or anything. I don't. I'm, I'm against condiments in general. Um, oh, not even mustard on the hot dog. No, no, no mustard. No. Wow. Well, what are you putting on your What do you put on your hot dog? I, I eat them plain or oh. not even celery salt. <laughs> no, not even celery salt. I don't even know why. I don't even know why that exists. Um, you grew up in the typewriter age. Any advantage <laughs> to uh, at all at writing on one? I mean, is it? Uh, do you still Any use advantage? one? You know. To writing on a typewriter yeah uh, do, you, do you miss it at all is there was there anything good uh, in the typewriter era that is now gone or is just everything improved now the the, the only advantage so writing on a computer is so much easier right and you know there's so many advantages to it you save your work and you know i remember my first my first computer i got was before i was about to go to the university of illinois in champaign um, this was 19, I graduated high school in 83 and then I took a semester off to pursue a, a warehouse career. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and after that, I, uh, I got this computer from my mom and dad. It was an old Tandy, I think it was Tandy 1000. Oh, wow. Uh, and you know, the old floppy disks and everything, a big computer that went on your desk and, uh, I just remember what a leap of faith it was that I would like, I would write something and then I would hit save. Yeah. It would disappear and I would immediately call it back up because I was, I just didn't know how 
it could be possible that it wasn't gone. <laughs> I remember that feeling. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, so, but you know, I, I've gotten over that. I still don't know how it happens. I still have no idea, you know, how that. It's like magic to me. Um, I mean, you know, I'm so my 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 skills are not in in the direction of like technology or yeah. working with your hands. You know, for example, like, uh, you know, if, if a light bulb goes out in our house, I just don't use that room for a while. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm, you, you know you who know? you're talking to here. I mean, <laughs> we, yeah. are, we are exactly the same way. So, so in any, in yeah, any but, event, but, you know, I, I know enough to, to use a computer. So it's all good except for this. Here's, here's the big, huge disadvantage. So my computer where I, I try to write, is the same computer that is now hooked up to wireless internet and so there's this constant battle uh so when you're working on a typewriter you know there's no distractions you know checking to see what donald trump's doing or not doing right right you're not checking your twitter feed you know the latest um you, you know mass shooting spree um you know, my, even now, and, and I didn't do anything to make this happen. I don't know how it happened. But now, if my phone rings, my computer rings. Oh. I don't know how I, I don't know how that started. I don't know how to make it stop. But, you know, so, you know, I answer the phone. So there are so many distractions, and it's so important when you're trying to, you know, get a significant piece of work done to, to not be distracted that I think that that's the biggest disadvantage and i suppose there are ways i could i could make it so that um you know i'm, I'm not connected to the internet and i could probably make it my computer stop ringing or you know that's not true i can that sounds it, like a I, project for your teenage son to tackle yeah or or, or my wife margaret yeah. or somebody you know I, I you know woody allen there's a story in the uh biography of him by eric lax in which um apparently you know woody allen was just totally incompetent about these sorts of things as well. And he was working on a typewriter and he, um, there's a story from a friend of his who, you know, was invited over to have dinner at Woody Allen's house. And then, you know, it came up that his typewriter ribbon was broken. He's like, can you take a look at this? You know, and he fixed his typewriter ribbon for him, you know, put a new one in. And uh, then he started getting, you know, more invites to dinner. And he it, coincidentally, he started to realize that every time he got invited over to dinner, <laughs> you know, Woody Allen's needed a new typewriter. <laughs> and that's sort of how I am. You know, I've got, you know, I'll have people who will be like, hey, say, uh, you know, you work with computers, yeah. right? <laughs> okay, Dave, we're going to take a quick break. Okay. And we'll be right back. I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. On the next Back to You, we're going to find out what kind of personality that Steve has. I think we're going to do the same for Howard because we've taken this extensive test and it has analyzed us thoroughly. And now we can tell the world just who we are. And anybody can take this test. We'll tell you how on the next Back to You. Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. Back to you, Steve. That's it. <laughs> Back to you, an Opai show only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. 
It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. Lasano and friends. Happy to be here today. Cheryl Scott, meteorologist. Hi, Fred Winston, Chicago radio guy. I'm Rob Hart in Chicago. How about that weather? This is a good show to do that. Yeah, what the hell, man? It's, uh... (laughs) Don't blame the messenger. I'm not blaming the messenger. (laughs) That's got to be the worst part about being a meteorologist. They blame you for the the sun or the snow or whatever. I'm like everyone's best friend when it's sunny and 70. (laughs) And like yesterday, it was everyone's worst friend. Yeah. But I know that weather changes so dramatically. We do seven-day forecasts, and I go, well, seven days, it sometimes changes seven times in those seven days. (laughs) (laughs) But science is getting more and more accurate. Oh, it does. So, has the Earth been knocked off its axis? I I, I keep hearing stuff uh, about that uh, from the conspiracy idiots at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and that's exactly what we're going. Masano and Friends. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com And we're back. You wrote a great Christmas book. Uh, you know, this is... We are your publishers, but uh, th- this is just an objective truth. It's an excellent book. It's called An Off-White Christmas, a collection of stories that are about Christmas, but not uh, from a religious point of view. They're just uh, about the Christmas season. And you know, there's one story that I think is just spectacular, and that's the story about the Christmas tree. And the tradition of uh, who can get the cheapest tree, basically, isn't that the the uh, the object of the story? Basically, is that yeah? That's the that's the title story. Yeah, and it's uh, called an off white Christmas. It's the first story in the collection, and it makes me think that you you probably here's what I'm thinking, or my guess, my best guess, is that you you know had the collection of stories on your nightstand for a while. And you were meaning to read the whole thing, but then you read the first one <laughs> and didn't get any farther. Is that am I getting close? That no, is I, totally I, incorrect. Yeah, that, I, that may be true of Dave. No, no, no. <laughs> but no, it is no, not true no, of me. No. no. Although uh, did Simon and Schuster read all of their books? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's it. You know, it's um you know, I, I uh this friend of mine from college, um, you know, Jackie Roser, she um um, she had this brother who, uh, you know, was uh, a little bit, you know, the model for Willie, um, and you know, not uh, not in any, you know, precise ways, but maybe the inspiration is the better word. Um, but anyway, you know, uh, there used to be, um, you know, she lived in Oak Park, and uh, I was living in Chicago, and we would get together. And I would stop by her house around the holidays, um, and um, and then uh, we we also had this tradition of meeting late on Christmas nights at Marie's Riptide. Do you remember R- Marie's Riptide? No, I don't. Um, yeah. On Armitage Avenue near the highway, and um, it was decorated in Christmas lights year round. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then so by coincidence, you know, it was ready for Christmas. Um, you know, this great. 5 a.m. bar, and uh, for some reason, people went there on Christmas night. So we would all, you know, when we got done with our families, go there. But in any event, um, you know, so I, I started observing, you know, uh, Jackie's family, and uh, and um, there was this interaction between, um, you know, the mother and the son that I found interesting. And, and that was sort of the, um, you know, the inspiration and then, you know, uh, 
uh, a lot of the rest of its imagination. But it takes place in um, my old neighborhood because I, I grew up near Blackhawk Park. Okay. Speaking of Christmas decor- decorations, what is the appropriate day to hang them up? If you're not in uh, in that bar that has them all year right, round. Right. So, when, yeah, when is the, I would imagine Halloween, way too early. When is... The appropriate time to, because I'm Jewish. I don't know what you people do. <laughs> well, you probably know uh, a little less than I do, but, um, you know, it, so it depends, you know, like it's a year by year thing with us because now that the, like I'm in charge of them. And again, I'm in charge of something that I'm totally ill prepared to do. Um, it depends if, if we're going to be in town for Christmas, that's one thing. If we're going to not be in town, then, you know, then, you, you know, we kind of go light on it. Yeah. But, you know, we try. I, we usually get our tree just a little bit after Thanksgiving. And then um, in terms of the other decorations, it's sort of uh, a collaboration between Margaret and Dusty and myself. And so, um, you know, you, I've always thought that someday I would be, you know, we would be the Christmas house. And so, like. You know, sometimes like in April, I'll see some Christmas thing, you know, at Goodwill or get a garage sale in July or whatever, and I'll pick it up thinking we're going to collect this stuff. Um, there was a couple of years where I lived on Logan Boulevard. We rented a place, Margaret and I, and they had one of those Christmas houses. This year I'm talking about where they just go yeah, completely oh, sure, nuts, where they probably have like a $10,000 electric bill. The neighborhood you know, Clark Griswold. Exactly. And, yeah. um, and there's one of those on on Logan Boulevard, and it's amazing. There's like, there's Christmas music being piped from the roof. Mm-hmm. Things are in motion, you know, like the garage is totally bonkers. We went once um, to this place in Iowa where, uh, you know, and it was just on display. So it was one of these Christmas houses, and Margaret and I were living there for a few years, and so we went to this place and. Even the toilet paper roll was like an elf, <laughs> you know? And so that that became another one of the stories where, you know, it's um, called uh, uh, Other People's Garbage, in which the uh, narrator, you know, finds herself collecting Christmas stuff, even though she lives alone, doesn't have a family, doesn't have any celebration at Christmas. She finds herself compulsively. She can't stop herself from buying more Christmas stuff and eventually, you know, starts to um, figure out a way to install it to to become the Christmas house. So I've always imagined that I would become that Christmas house, but um, so far, you know, our, our efforts are pretty weak. Where can they get your book? This wonderful (laughs) book. You guys know more than me. Why don't you tell them? Uh, All right. You are. We're going to we're going to sign you up for uh, promotion 101. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll have a little class after this after this show. Please tell us that you do know the address as to where people go. Uh, It's at Eckhart'sPress.com for anyone who's interested. It's a there's two different versions. There's a soft cover. There's a hard cover, which is a collector's edition, which is absolutely beautiful. Uh, David Stern. Uh, spent like 7,000 hours working no, on it. Oh, no. Um, and so you should check it out. Go to EckhartsPress.com. And thank you very much, Donald G. Evans, known as Don to us, uh, <laughs> for uh, being on the show. We appreciate it very much.
All right. Thank you, Rick and David. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I can't say enough uh, about uh, the good work you guys are doing. No, please do. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. No, no, you can say as much as you want. We don't have to hit a break, Don. How good are we? Actually, you know, now that I think about it, I can say enough, but I think I have. <laughs> okay, there um, you go. <laughs> but, uh, and also, you know, I, you know, I've only, you know, heard a sampling of the minutia men, but it's, it's really good. You know, I mean, I, it's funny and, um, you know, I'm uh, I'm impressed with your efforts. Oh, come oh, on. We'll cut it out. Okay, fine. Three book deal, Don. All right. You, you, whatever <laughs> books you got, we'll publish them for you. Talk to you soon, Don. Thanks for being on. All right. Thanks. Uh, some good it's, stories. And it's there. a great book. It is a great book. Go on EckhartsPress.com yeah. and order it. And get, get the hard copy. Please get the hard copy. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with OpiShows.com. Opi is hippo backwards. O-P-P-I-H shows.com. Distributed by Ed Silla from the Radio Misfits. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. And we'll be back again next week with another edition of the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The proceeding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, we talk about those cars you may hate but still love. Quirky Euro exotics, anybody? Plus, cars for real cheapskates. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Hostable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. On this week's Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. Kentucky woman solves breathing issue with face masks. The best place in the world to be stuck in quarantine. Hey, we got an order of body bags. Rick's brush with Willie Mays. Rick's interview with John Records Landecker without me. Yes, that's right. And we also have comedian Dwayne Kennedy, who is an Emmy winner and a hilarious man. All that in unlimited tangents on this week's Minutia Men. Tony Lasano podcast and Opie production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. RadioMisfits.com.